So our reading this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and then I'll jump to verse 19. So this is what Paul writes. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, as this morning we start to think about, well, we are relaunching, as I said earlier, and replanting a church together. Just in case you didn't know, you've just walked in to a church plant and now you're part of launching a whole new project, right? So as we start thinking about relaunching, replanting uh, Trinity Heights, um, as we regroup in the midst of, I mean, it's not over yet, is it? In the midst of a global pandemic, uh, there are any number of places we could begin as we think about new beginnings. There are, after all, 66 books in the Bible. We could start in any one of them, so why start here? Well, there's a very personal side to all this, actually. I remember many years ago uh, when I was still living in England uh, and I was still an agnostic, a series of events led me to church. And I remember it was an evening service. It was in the autumn, so it was very cold and wet outside and and, and sort of dark at that time of year in in England. It's it's sort of like that. And I remember the warm lights, the warm glow of the church from the outside, and and I walked in. It was a bit of a decrepit building, really needed refurbishing. And I found a pew to sit in. They had pews, not chairs. And the pastor got up into the pulpit. They had one of those. And he said this evening, we are going to begin a new series in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Never heard of them. But this was the first time I heard someone start to teach from the Bible. And it was a very surprising experience because while he gave a lot of historical background, he seemed to really respect the sort of historical context and and, uh, uh, distance, historical distance. At the same time, at the same time, the word seemed, it seemed fresh and current, and as if someone had penned that letter for us that morning and had sent it, it was addressing it to us, or to me. And um, I, I came back the next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, and it began to dawn on me that I was no longer looking, I was no longer looking at the world the way I had always looked at it. Some fundamental change had taken place in me. My world had shifted on its axis. And my life was never going to be the same again. So for me personally, this letter is really associated very closely with new beginnings, new foundations, new, new perspectives, uh, a new life. And so naturally, uh, many years later, five years ago today, as Eric mentioned, we, I thought it was the most natural thing in the world. Let's just make Colossians the first letter that we look to get at together as a community, as Trinity Heights, as a congregation. And uh, I know that there's a few of you who were actually there back then, five years ago, when we first launched, and you've since told me that actually you experienced something very similar to what I'd experienced when we started going through Colossians together. You said you experienced a sort of a new beginning, uh, a new shift in perspective, a new life. 
And so this letter is not just part of my own personal story, but it's part of our story as a community, as a congregation here at Trinity Heights. And I, I thought, look, we haven't looked at this letter in five years, and what's happened in the last five years? Right? I mean, just, just think about how you have changed as a human being, as a person, in the last five years. Just take a moment. None, well, none of us are the same people we were five years ago, right? So a lot's happened personally, but collectively, well, of course, we've just been through this global pandemic, and after a year and a half, like the last year and a half, I thought it would be amazing to come back to this letter and see how Paul's words sound in the years of people, in the years of people who have been scattered and are now regrouping. And so, and so we begin again. And Paul begins his letter saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Well, this is Paul's standard greeting. It's how he begins not just this letter, but it's how he begins all of his letters or some variation of that. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. It's a sort of a well-wishing, first of all, right? So the way you and I might start an email or a letter and say, dear Stephen, how are you? Or dear Stephen, hope things are going really well for you over there in New York City, right? That's, that's kind of how we start. And so it is Paul's well-wishing his recipients. Uh, dear Colossians, how are you? Hope things are going well for you in Colossae. Smiley face with tongue hanging out, right? But if we listen closely, we'll discover that this deceptively simple greeting is actually loaded with theological meaning and also loaded with political meaning as well. Next week, we'll get to the political stuff. This week, we're going to focus on the theological stuff, the religious stuff. Um, and uh, we're going to look at both. But, it, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. This is a deceptively, um, a deceptively simple greeting. Um, in polite company, you're not meant to discuss religion and politics, right? Uh, you want a peaceful Thanksgiving dinner later on this year with your family and you don't want to give everyone indigestion. You just stay off that subject. You, you know this, right? You don't need me to tell you. So don't talk about religion and politics. Um, so Paul is not really the sort of person you want to invite to Thanksgiving dinner or have at your dinner party because he can't seem to pen a simple greeting in a letter without things turning political and religious all at the same time. That's Paul. So Paul is not polite company. But I'll give him this, I'll give him this, he doesn't waste a word in his letters. And what he's doing, and as I said, we'll, we'll look at the political dimension more next week, we'll look at the theological stuff this week, but what he's doing with the theology and the politics is he is already advancing in this simple greeting, uh, a, a, he's advancing some really important claims, and by, by doing that he's again establishing the ground of their relationships with him and their relationships with each other. So I think this is a good place to start this morning. Let's let Paul's words establish the ground of our relationships as we come together again for the first time in a long time. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Let's start with this word peace. Paul puts pen to paper and something amazing happens. The past flows through Paul in a hundred different waves. That word peace flows through Jewish history and it courses through Jewish scripture and it's carried on the waves of Jewish values and these Jewish values shape this Jewish man called Paul 
and Paul holds a pen in his hand and through that pen flows Jewish history and literature and values and onto the page he writes the word peace. I think we need a way of sort of summarizing, summing up, uh, gathering together all of that literature and history and, and values that fall onto Paul's page. And the way I want to do that this morning is by taking a look at the Jewish prophet Ezekiel. Um, the Jewish prophet Ezekiel. Uh, there's a couple of places where he talks very specifically about a covenant of peace and a promise of peace. And so, uh, if you pull up the first... Uh, the, so, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops and the people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I'll provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. And then there's another on the next slide. I will make a covenant of peace with them. This is in Ezekiel 37. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So let me just summarize what we've just read. There's no longer enmity between humans and wild creatures. Drought gives way to showers of blessing. Barren trees can be harvested. The people of Israel experience political security because they're at peace, and their neighbors' uh, socioeconomic oppression is replaced by justice and liberation, and the hungry are fed. This Jewish sense of the word peace is, is very different, perhaps, um, from the way that you and I may use the word peace in our own contemporary Western context on a, on a daily basis. Uh, this is not uh, like that episode in Seinfeld. I don't know if you remember the one where George Costanza's dad is Frank Costanza. There he is. Um, Frank Costanza is listening to those therapy tapes, and they're telling him, whenever you get on edge, whenever you're angry, whenever you're anxious, whenever you're just losing it, just, just say to yourself, Sir, Serenity now, uh, and, and, you'll be, and you'll be fine. Serenity now. And, uh, of course, by the end of the episode, life is just conspiring against him, as it usually does, and by the end of it, he's just screaming in the back of his son's car, Serenity now! Serenity now! There it, yeah, there he is. Serenity now! And uh, just totally losing it. When I think of peace, sometimes I think of feeling peaceful and calm and serene, the opposite of feeling nervous and on edge and, and, and just a little bit restless. I think of peace in, in terms of my own centeredness, my own mindfulness, my own um, sense of well-being. But Paul is not a Western individualist. He's not. So when he says grace and peace to you, 
right? He, he's not saying, I hope you feel peaceful and calm and relaxed and serene and tranquil all day today. That's not what he's saying. That would be a rather anemic greeting from Paul, from, as far as Paul's concerned. That would be anemic. No, Paul's, what Paul is saying when he says grace and peace to you, uh, let, me, let me translate it for you. He's saying, may you experience a far-reaching richness and harmony that permeates and characterizes all your social, ecological, political, agricultural, and economic relationships. It's just easier to say peace, right? But when he says peace, this is what he means. This is what he's talking about. Now, that is a far more robust greeting than serenity now, or, you know, I hope you're doing well in New York emoji, right? This is a far more robust uh, greeting. And it's important we understand this because, of, as I said earlier, this is not just the greeting he uses in this letter, but of course he uses some variation of it in nearly all of the letters that he writes. And of course, the churches he's writing to, they're not all dealing with the same issues. A lot of them are dealing with different issues from each other. But Paul is always trying to nurture and encourage and sustain this kind of peace, this far-reaching harmony, this robust version of peace, in the communities that he's writing to. So, you know, when you read those words at the start of each letter, you can, you can now fill it out in your mind. May you experience a far-reaching richness and harmony that permeates and characterizes all your social, ecological, political, agricultural, and economic relationships. If you are making notes this morning, make a note of that because it's something we will return to uh, several times throughout the series because Paul is always writing to sustain that kind of peace in the communities he's writing to. But Paul also couples this word peace with the word grace. In fact, the word grace usually precedes the word peace in these greetings. And that's because whenever Paul is reading Ezekiel, remember we're using Ezekiel this morning to summarize all that Jewish literature, history and values, right? So we're using that to sum it up. So whenever Paul reads Ezekiel, he reads this. I will make a covenant of peace with them. I will send down showers. I will make them and their places surrounding them a blessing. I will break the bars of their yoke. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. I will make a covenant of peace with them. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Nine times seven verses. Seven verses, nine times, God says, I will, I will, I will. And so as far as Paul is concerned, this far-reaching, robust version of peace, as opposed to the anemic version of peace, this robust version of peace is, is something that, that Paul sees as God's, begins with God's initiative, God's intervention, God's I will. And his claim throughout this letter, his claim throughout this letter is that God's the most, the fullest expression of God's determined, I will, to establish his peace on earth. Let me say it again. The fullest expression of God's determined, I will, to establish peace on earth is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we get to verse 9 in Colossians, and he said, 19, he says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight through blemish and free from accusation, reconciliation, peace, from alienation to, to again, this reconciliation and, and presence. In Christ, God says, this is me guaranteeing 
This is me making possible. This is me opening the door to that kind of peace. It is, in other words, this, this peace that we're talking about this morning. It is God's radical gift. And if you think about it, Paul is actually saying something here, deeply subversive of our own cultural context. That our context tends to view peace uh, and well-being in terms of autonomous achievement and the solitary, the solitary individual, but also sees it, uh, that sense of well-being as a result of my own ingenuity, my own skill, my own hard work. It's something that I earn, I merit, I deserve. Paul is claiming two things counter to that. He's saying that this view of peace goes far beyond my own personal serenity. And what's more, it is the work of God. It is a gift. It is given. It is bestowed. It is unmerited. It is unearned. And so when Paul writes to the church, and he says to the church, not, not, to, not just simply grace and peace to you, Sarah Beth, grace and peace to you, Eric, right? He's not just to the individuals, but he's saying to you collectively, your lives together as a community, grace and peace to you, um, he's establishing the ground and goal of their lives together. Now, at Trinity Heights, we, we don't just assume that you just believe this stuff right off the bat. Um, that, that's not, you know, you may, I always say this, you may have all sorts of reasons why you don't believe any of this whatsoever, and you may have really good reasons for not believing this, um, and, and, that's, and, and that's a whole other long-going conversation. That's not the ask this morning, do you believe this? The question is slightly different. What if you did believe this? It's not do you believe this, but what if you did believe this? Right in your, in your heart of hearts, in your bones, you just know this is, where, this is what God has in store for his creation, for humanity, and this is where God is taking everything. This is, this is the program, and what if I believed this and I got with the program? What, what if I believe this is where everything was heading? How would that shape our lives together? If the city's message, and I think there's, there's a lot of people internalize this in New York City, is you've got to establish yourself here. You've got, to establish, you've got to work hard to establish yourself. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to show that you've got to earn your right to a seat at the table. You deserve to, you've got to show you deserve to be here. A lot of people internalize that. As a pastor, I can internalize that in different ways. How does a pastor internalize that? I'll tell you how. A friend of mine always says, he says, you know, he says, us pastors, he says, we're, we're always just two bad sermons away from someone leaving the church. <laughs> that, that's, how, that's how someone like me internalizes that. Okay? So, so that we internalize this message. You've got to establish yourself. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to earn your seat at the table. Do you deserve to be here? And if that's the message that New York City, and a lot of people get that message from the city, the message from Paul is the exact opposite of that. What I want us to do as we relaunch this church, as we replant Trinity Heights, as we experience life together in person together again, I want to, I want to let Paul's words, grace and peace, echo in your ears. Reflect on it this week. You know, just, just say these words to yourselves. Let us allow these words as we meditate on them what Paul means by grace and peace, let, let that begin to establish the ground and goal of our lives together again. Let me put this another way. 
What if we knew that we were committed to each other not because we have earned that commitment from each other? Some of you are meeting for the first time, so I can't possibly have earned any commitment from you or you from me, right? But what if we knew we were committed to each other not because we have earned that commitment from each other, not because I deserve all the faithfulness you can give me as a friend and not because you merit all the goodness I can show you as your friend, but because this kind of peace this robust peace is the free and generous gift of God. And so we're determined that we will give this gift of peace to each other. Let, let me put this one more way and then, and then we'll end here. Um, imagine seeing everyone in your life, like this, this week, everyone you come across. What, what's your week like this week? You've got a busy week? Got a busy week? Think of the calendar, right? Who, who's on there right now? Who are you going to be meeting with? Maybe there's some familiar faces, maybe there's some new people you've never met before, right? So let, let's just think about that for a moment. And imagine if you began every single one of those encounters this coming week thinking the, the way that Paul begins his letters. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. I don't mean say that to these people you're meeting. They're going to think you're a little strange if you do that. So please don't be strange on purpose, right? But, so, but what I'm saying is, is, what if we were to begin the way Paul begins his letters? We begin every encounter we have this week that way. And we think to ourselves, we meet someone, we go, oh, oh yeah, you're one of those. One day, a far-reaching harmony is going to permeate and characterize all your social, ecological, political, agricultural, and economic relationships. One day. So today, my presence in your life is going to help you anticipate that peace. I want to help you catch another glimpse of it, to experience it by our being together again. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to think through the upcoming week. As I mentioned, your, your calendar is just now. Who's on your calendar? What meetings do you already know you have? Who are you going to run into at work this week? Or online? Perhaps at the office? Who's going to sit near you in class? Take a moment to picture those people. In your mind, see their faces, hear their voices. Father, may your peace permeate and characterize each one of those connections that we make this week. Let us help each other to catch a glimpse of that peace, to experience that peace. May our presence in the lives of all those we come across help them to anticipate the peace of God, which our world so desperately needs and which you have graciously promised. Amen.